Welcome to Unravel Our Travel, where two enthusiasts dive into their favorite trips, tips, and tricks. I'm terrified about this one, Jordan, because I am going to attempt to talk about Scotland. Oh, cool. Awesome. The time has come. I'm excited. The time has come. I have to just rip the Band-Aid. I spent long thinking about it and trying to, like, put it together, but I'm just like, we'll see how it goes. My plan is... I am only talking about, I have, to, I have to limit it or this would be a five-hour podcast. I'm calling this Thank you. Scotland Part 1 of who knows how many installations over this podcast. Okay. And what's the topic of choice? Yeah. So it, it's only going to be about Edinburgh. So just the main city during my time studying abroad there. So none of my additional visits. None of my other trips on the weekends to anywhere else, even in Scotland, like just Edinburgh and only during like the months I was studying abroad from September to December. Okay. So now that we have the specific time period down, (laughs) I I was actually thinking that you might do it today. I was thinking about this. I was trying to guess where you might be and I was thinking that you might actually try to do it today. So it's funny. We're on the same wavelength. Almost. I, it is, that is really funny. I can never guess what you're going to talk about. Ooh. You're a wild card. <laughs> okay. So now that we've ripped the Band-Aid off, you're ready to go. So I'm ready to go. Take me on your journey. Walk me through it. So uh, I studied, if you've listened to any other episode, you already know this, but I studied abroad in Scotland my junior year of college. And I left, I arrived there early September. And I remember you left earlier for study abroad because you were there in August, right? Yes, I got there like August 4th. Yeah, I got there very, very early in the fall. Summer, essentially. Yeah, so you were still there in in summer. I think I actually left on Connor Brosnan's birthday. I'm pretty sure because I had it written on my calendar. Yeah. (laughs) So I got there early September. It was my first time... One of my first times really traveling alone and definitely my first time traveling internationally by myself. So God bless WOW. I don't think it exists anymore. It like shut down as an airline in a very dramatic way in 2019, I think. Yeah, it's gone the way of the dodo, unfortunately. Yep. Sadly, not that it was great at all, but it was so cheap. So I was flying WOW. I actually made a friend on the plane because the seat person, the seat behind me, I just happened to overhear her say that she was like, oh, I'm, I'm my final destination is like Scotland. I'm going to study abroad, talking to like her seatmate. And I literally like jumped up over my seat. I was just so excited and lonely because I had no one else. I was like, oh, my God, like, that's what I'm doing. Like, that's where I'm going. And we Were ended you up, behind like, having her awkward... or in front of her? No, I was in front of her. So oh. it was hard. I was like turning around. We ended up trying to talk through like the crack in the chairs. But she was super nice, and I just remember at our layover um, in Reykjavik, Iceland, it was 5 a.m. in Reykjavik, and we were starving because you can't even get, like, peanuts on WOW. You can't get a glass of water on WOW. And so the two of us, like, met up when we got off, and we went, and we got, like, the most expensive airport sandwiches ever, and we bought bottles of wine because we both were 20, but you can drink in a lot of other countries at 18 so the very first thing we did was get sandwiches a slice of chocolate cake that we shared and like a little bottle of wine and that's how we like celebrated um until we got to scotland um and we parted ways for a little bit and i was just like okay i've been up 
basically all night because I did like an overnight flight and got to Scotland kind of in the morning by the time I, you know, took transportation from the airport, which is really easy. There are some great buses in Edinburgh. You just hop on and it brings you downtown. Um, I got to the hotel I was staying in because I got there one day early before my program was meeting up. And then I was a zombie. Like, I remember showering and just laying on my bed being like, you can't fall asleep. Like, you can't fall asleep. By this point, it was like 3 o'clock. I was like, you have to make it to later. I think I fell asleep. I'm pretty sure I slept for an hour, which I never admitted to my mom. It always gets Um, you. I know. I woke back up. I had a beautiful view of Edinburgh, which is just this old, old city, but in the most beautiful way. Um, it, It just... it feels like you're absolutely transported it's a lot of stone buildings um and I decided I needed food so I kind of wandered around like an absolute zombie and I'll just never forget I wandered to a place that is actually really famous in Edinburgh called Grass Market and now it's basically just this really pretty area where you have a view of Edinburgh Castle and there's a lot of pubs there Um, it literally in, in one of my classes, I learned it used to be a grass market because it's where like all the cows and livestock and everything would be. Mm -hmm. And you basically had to pass it in and out of Edinburgh. So people would like trade and sell and kill livestock there. Very different now. Smells a lot better. Um, and I like stumbled into this place called the White Heart Inn. That is one of my favorite pubs ever. And I just dove in. Like the very first thing I ate in Scotland was I ordered haggis, which is wow. their like That's quite national dish. It's what they're known for. I was exhausted and bleary eyed. And I ordered like I thought about getting it as like an appetizer, which is what a lot of people will do. Um, they even do like haggis egg rolls. So you can like try a taste of it. And I was like, nope, like I got the haggis entree and I ordered like whatever local beer. I think I maybe got like a Bellhaven um, beer and that's brewed near Edinburgh and which was super exciting still again because I was 20 mm-hmm. and using my like I wasn't even ID'd and it was amazing. Like it was incredible. I was exhausted, but it was like, I'm here. I'm an adult. Like I'm sitting trying this new thing. And haggis is, is one of my favorite things now. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Don't look it up. Don't Google it if you're listening. It's just meat. It's a mixture of meats and things. And it's cooked in a unique way, but it's served with, oh my God, nips and tatties. I think I'm saying, oh my God, I always know that. But it's basically turnips and mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's so good. It's like spicy and flavorful. But if you look it up, it might gross you out. And you can't really get it in the United States. But the best version of it is at the Haven in, um, in Boston. That was how I started. Yeah, you really jumped right into everything. But I'm glad to hear that it turned out to be one of your favorite foods. It was. And it might just be because like, Whenever I taste it, even, like, the version here, I just get taken back to that moment. And it was just this sense of, like, I was so nervous, like, wandering the city on my own. Everything, well, it was literally foreign, but it felt so foreign. Mm -hmm. But it was just this really important moment for me, like, sitting down and ordering that and, like, finally being there. Uh, It felt like a rite of passage. But then I remember I was sitting there for so long waiting to like have them come and check on how I was and and, like so I could ask for the check or for them to just like drop it off and I forgot like they don't do that you basically like they will you could sit there for almost like five hours and they will not like drop the bill off 
So I, I totally forgot because I was so tired. You have to like ask for them to bring the check. You have to essentially yank on their shirts. I always forget that when I go back to Europe. <laughs> yeah. That you have to physically, right? not physically, but basically touch them and try to get their attention. Mm-hmm. Right. And you have to be like, I would like to leave. <laughs> And it's not a rude thing. It's just it's just such a different culture yeah. where, like, here, everything's so fast. And, I mean, even in the UK, which is, you know, different from, like, Spain, your wait time's going to be even longer where it's, it's, a, it's slower. It's more Mediterranean country. But, yeah, so I sat there forever. But it was fun because they had all these, like, quotes painted on the wall and mugs. And it just was that perfect, like, pub feeling. Everything was mm-hmm. wood. There was a fireplace. Um, and of course I saw Edinburgh castle, like fortress up on the hill as I was walking in and out of there. So it was just surreal and absolutely beautiful. And one of the most perfect starts to a trip I have ever had. And I think I will ever have for sure. So that's even before you even jumped into your like introduction with your study abroad program, right? That was all by yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the next day we met up with the program and I think there were about oh my gosh 10 plus other students not Mm -hmm. a huge number but small enough we all ended up knowing each other that were part of this program through I went through API and they were all students from the United States but different schools so there were only two other students that were from Bryant University which was kind of nice to have that but I also liked that I wasn't basically just taking my Bryant world and transporting it somewhere else, which was really nice. Yeah, it's easy to go study abroad, but study abroad domestically, essentially. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Basically, when you're just surrounded by the same people that you would have been in on our little campus in Rhode Island. So it it was nice. It it was that perfect crutch. And I really loved it. I liked experiencing it with them. But We also didn't do everything together, and I made some really good friends with students from other parts of the United States, which was kind of cool in itself, too. But we ended up moving into our apartments in a place called Hermit's Croft, which I just think is a really fun name. Yeah, I love that name. And, right? Isn't it cool? So I lived in Hermit's Croft in one of the buildings, and the way that university works, at least in Edinburgh, and I think in most of the UK is they really only have, quote, dorming or living option for freshers or first years. Uh, So we lived in a first year apartment. They're not even dorms. They have like three to four people in them. They're all Mm co-ed, which is really different than in our, I don't know, in, in our school system for colleges because you had to fill out an application <laughs> at our university if you ever even wanted to share a dorm with someone of the opposite gender. And here, that was just the norm as you kind of were tossed in together. You had a full kitchen, a little living room, bathroom, and your own separate room. So there's no, sh- you had a small room, but you never share like two beds in mm-hmm. a room there too, which was kind of nice. So you at least had your own private space. Exactly, which I think was also really important for study abroad and just having your own area for sure. So that was nice. And we moved in and that's where I met Maggie, who I've talked about on the past podcast, who is going into her last year at Edinburgh University right now. And we still talk and she's from Austria. So 
it was a really cool way to also live with other students actually going there, even with the little bit of the mm-hmm. age difference, which wasn't really noticeable as much as it would be, I think, in the U.S. So I have a, what I basically did to try and break <laughs> this down, because if I so if I go day by day, this will be literally a 10 hour podcast. So that's my little introduction. We can call that chapter one and a half. Ooh. Uh, and <laughs> going in and getting settled. Basically, what I have is like six main things I think everyone should do that I'm going to tie in with memories and the timeline that I did it okay. is my plan. We'll see how far I stray from that plan as it actually starts. Oh, we're matching. I just noticed we're totally Plain matching white right shirts. now. <laughs> Down to our glasses and like sh- Yours shirts. is a little more tasteful. Is that a pocket that I see? There is a pocket, a Ooh, little pocket here. Tasteful. I, I have nothing to put in the pocket. You can put like all women's clothing, the pocket off. is for fashion. If I took my glasses off, then I wouldn't really be going very far. But I, I suppose that's an option. <laughs> Keep some pens in there so it can stay in the white shirt. <laughs> I've already strayed <laughs> from the plan. We're taking us back. Uh, We're taking us back. We're taking it back. Okay. Number one thing is to go to the Royal Mile. The Royal Mile is actually, they jokingly call it a Scots Mile because it's longer than a mile, but it's still named the Royal Mile. It's not a mile long. But on one end is Edinburgh Castle, and on the other end is Holyrood Palace, which is the Queen's Palace when she's in Scotland. So two very cool things. It is one of the, it's in the old section of Scotland or in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Everything is old. But this is the, the like older. actual old section. The older section. I mean cobblestone on the ground, the buildings you can tell our age. There are monuments and churches there. I use this phrase a lot, but since before our country was even a thought, which is just amazing. It is very touristy. That's where if you're looking for the argyle sweater or the scarf uh, that you want to bring home. That's where you go. But at the same time, I still really enjoyed it even two months into going Mm -hmm. because it is really lively. There are still some really great cultural experiences you can have there, but just setting it up that, yes, you're going to run into a lot of tourists there. It's probably going to be busy, Mm -hmm. except in the colder months. So starting with Edinburgh Castle, that was the first big outing. I ended up going there two times, I think. And once what was cool with going with API is those type of outings, even still within Edinburgh, were all covered. So you went as a group, you basically had a tour guide and it was part of your application payment or whatever I did the six months before Mm -hmm. I left. Edinburgh Castle is amazing. It's this crazy combination of a tour you may have done I think of the Newport mansions, but it's not that fancy because you have to remember it's like a stone fortress, but it's that type of walking through where things are still set up and also a museum. But what's amazing is it was built in the 12th century, but even a long time before that, years and years before that, it's been used as a stronghold, a military fortress, royal palace. So when you walk through, there are statues of William Wallace and Robert the Bruce on both sides, which... Don't bring up Braveheart in Scotland. I think it's a sore point, but personally, I love Braveheart. It is not historically accurate, 
don't listen to Mel Gibson's interpretation of the history. But it is, it, it does, you know, really hold on to, like, the passion and pride that Scottish people mm-hmm. still to this day have for their country. So that's really cool. And it's actually on a volcanic plug. So basically, hmm. I'm not going to describe a volcanic plug scientifically to you, but my understanding is it's like a volcano pimple. Like, they, it all goes to that one area and, like, squeezes out the top a little bit. But what's cool is... As you walk through the fortress, it kind of, it's called, it's on Castle Hill. So it gets taller and taller and you go more and more vertical. And at the top is a chapel. And if you go in the chapel, there's this one part where they left the grounds like open. And you can see the uh, the lava, basically the hard lava come through the ground, which is really cool. Wait, you can actually see the lava? Not like red molten, but know when it hardens and it's black. Yeah. Yes, you can see so that. So is it moving or is it just sitting there? Like this happens. No, no, thousands no. Of it's years it's like it's like stone. Okay. Like it's it's when it gotcha. when it cools. Yeah. Like probably when you went to Pompeii and you see like layers of something. Yeah. Yep. Okay. It's like it's like that. So gotcha. it's not that would be terrifying, and That'd I probably so cool. wouldn't have loved that. <laughs> that would be so badass. You go and visit we've the talked king, about, and he says, "We've talked about how, into the pit." Just tosses Into you the in. pit. I mean, maybe this was used as a fortress for a very long time in a prison, so that could have happened. All if I'm you're saying a is, it's pretty nerd, cool. That's true. It is. It's very cool either way, and something fascinating because you don't think of volcanoes and Scotland, but again, it's an island, and I don't know. I'm, I was about to say all islands are created by, by volcanoes, but I don't think that that's necessarily true. But many islands are created by. <laughs> Yeah, volcanoes. a large majority. A little rephrase. But it was just, it was so interesting and something I don't think a lot of people necessarily remember or even think to go and look for since it's all the way at the top. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's other cool stuff. Like, I'm obsessed with Mary, Queen of Scots. I think she's a really interesting character in history. And she lived there and actually gave birth to James the sixth, I think, who's the one that ended up uniting Scotland and England under one crown, mm. which is like still a bit like literally still something people talk about there today because there's constant arguments to separate that. So that was really cool. And then I have one more fun story for you is they have something called the Stone of Destiny. And I'm telling you, Scottish people have the coolest, doesn't that just sound fun? Scottish people have the coolest names in, like, mythology and lore. But it's literally just a giant, it's like a big rock. Like, it's, I'm holding up my hands, it's several hands worth of a heavy rock. It looks like a watermelon size. Watermelon size, yes. Starting, they have no idea how long ago, before it was even called, like, a king, Whoever was the leader of the Scottish people at that time would be inaugurated on this rock. So it became the Stone of Destiny. When everything started happening between England and Scotland and Scotland was forced under England, they took the Stone of Destiny away from the Scottish people and kept it in Westminster Abbey in England. Basically, kind of as a metaphor, too, of like, we we have your stone, like, we have your destiny. On Christmas Day in, like... I think it was 1950s, 1950, four Scottish students in England 
I don't know how, but they stole the Stone of Destiny from Westminster Abbey, which is highly guarded and protected. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how, but this is true. You like learn about this at the castle, brought it back to Scotland. It was found three months later and, and returned. Eventually it was given back to Scotland by England officially. And so you can see it and it sits at the castle. But still a fun fact is every time there's a coronation in England, it is brought back to Westminster Abbey and it's under the chair that hmm. the person um, sits on or is coronated on. Yeah, that's very interesting. Fun fact. Isn't that cool? I, I am very fascinated and interested by the types, the political structure in the UK. Like it, it took me legitimately mm. probably a few weeks to grasp how it works of how Wales, yeah. England, Scotland are all different countries essentially they're all mm-hmm. independent nations but they're all under the uk and london and right the, like the devolution of powers and all of that stuff it's all very interesting of how they're all essentially in name independent but they all operate mm-hmm. under the uk it's and it's very complicated we visited the scottish parliament and tried to fathom even a little bit of it mm-hmm and it's, it's very difficult even just looking at how their party system works as well, um, because they have a, a lot more players than just two. Yeah. There, there are still two dominant parties, but then they have a lot more on the outskirts, whereas we really only ever talked about Democrats, Republicans, and maybe an, an, an independent, mm-hmm. maybe. So, And I actually was there a month after Brexit, so it was a really interesting time because... The majority of Scottish people, if you look at the votes, if it was just looking at Scotland, they would have voted to remain in the EU. But the it was the English people who really pushed the mm-hmm. vote over. So it it brought up this whole other independence referendum and request to leave the United Kingdom and become a truly independent nation. So it's a heated topic. If you bring it up to any English or Scottish person, first of all, they're very well versed. I think I've also said this in a previous podcast, but they'll start bringing up stereotypes and stories that happened thousands, like hundreds and thousands of years ago mm-hmm. that they still connect to. And that's where I say like Braveheart is known. It's not historically accurate. And you get a real mix of people in Scotland that either love it or hate it. But that passion is so true. And they still will talk about, you know, Robert the Bruce and these characters throughout history that represent the importance of Scotland. They still talk about the battle when they were trying to have their uprising and leave England, which no one is alive for because it happened so long ago. So it's really interesting. It plays a fascinating dynamic. I think you would love, you would love Edinburgh Castle because I think it's like such a good combination of history and museum Mm. that you would really enjoy. Yeah, I gotta get out there. And I had Christmas Eve dinner there, Ooh. which I'm not talking about. I'm going to do a maybe Christmas in Scotland special, but just a fun fact. And it was delicious. I had Christmas Eve dinner in a castle, and that's just cool. We're so, not talking about that. That's why I didn't say we're anything. We're not talking. You, said, not so, talking you said so. <laughs> we're not talking about it. So something else that is one of the first things I did and we would do repeatedly is hike something called Arthur's Seat and the Craigs, which is basically, it's in Hollywood Park or near Hollywood Park. So it's in Edinburgh, it's in the city. And it's this really cool, somewhere between a mountain and a hill. 
Like, I get out of breath going up it, and it's just gorgeous. It's absolute lush greenery, so you feel like you're kind of more in the highlands. The crags are these shorter, very rocky areas that if you hike there, you have a beautiful view of Edinburgh. And then if you hike up to the top, there's a really steep way that still scares me. Mm -hmm. And then there's sort of a roundabout way. But it was just a beautiful way to, you see the city, but you can also see the ocean. Uh, We actually bought, I went with some people that were studying abroad with me. And we got like cheese and traditional Scottish snacks. And of course, wine, because we were all just still so excited that we could buy alcohol that that is prevalent throughout this, that we got wine. And put it in our bags, which sucked on the way up. But then we had this really fun picnic at the top as the sunset. And we saw all the lights in the, like, old city start to come on with the ocean behind it. And it was it was just magical and something that I will do and have done every time that I've gone back. How many times do you think you did it while you were there? Not necessarily the picnics, but just walking up there and visiting. Between five and ten? Some people, I knew one of my friends did it, he made it his workout, so he would run up it. His goal was to run up it every day. I think he trailed off as study abroad got, (laughs) you were there longer and eating more and drinking more and working out less. Uh, So there were people that went up it once a week. Because of the amount I started traveling, I didn't do it as much, but I would say before I left, five times, six times. Is it something that you could do when it got like wintry or fall it was freezing the latest i did it was when my parents were out in december because i was like you have to go and if this is, this is the only time you're here we have to do it it's so cold because the wind is whipping scotland's freezing so you're i had my scarf up over my nose and my hood pulled down to my eyebrows but it was still fun i think we only went up to the craigs that time because we talked to people and they said it was insanely windy at the at the very top and there's no cover you were wearing face masks so before it. it was cool. I was, yeah, I actually made face masks a thing. <laughs> you can thank me. I don't know if I want that credit. So that's number two on the must-do list. And how, you know so how, that some... Sorry, going to jump back for a go minute ahead. to number two. No, go The Craigs? Craigs? Yes. How is it spelled? How dare you ask me that, Jordan? You should look it up. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. No, I'm calling I, you out. I don't know. <laughs> no, I know. I I'm actually can't remember. I I put a question mark next to it in my <laughs> notes because I always remember that I couldn't figure out which way it was. If it was like the name Craig or I always say I spell it Craig's like C-R-A-G-S, but I don't think either Craig's. of those is correct. That makes that sounds um, correct. Yeah, I will, uh, I'll include the correct spelling in our Instagram post, Okay, but I can spell Arthur's seat, <laughs> the name Arthur. I would hope so. A lot of, a lot of Scottish words and Irish words, they're very hard to pronounce. I find a lot of the letters, it's just not pronounced in a way that you can't really sound it out a lot of the time. It's an incredible accent and one that I cannot mimic at all. So number three. Yeah. Number three, you knew that I would somehow tie Harry Potter into this after talking about Harry Potter for four hours on the London one, which I ended up start watching Harry Potter. And yeah, the mirror was not in the room of requirements, just letting you know. Yeah, I want to thank Cassie for clarifying that for us. Yeah, I'm just just letting you know. I rewatched that. 
But for Harry Potter fans, so J.K. Rowling started writing the first Harry Potter book in Scotland. And she wrote a good portion of it in a cafe called The Elephant Room. That is really cool. You can go there. Great food. But the bathrooms are weirdly the coolest part because somehow it became a thing that people going there to basically pay homage to her and Harry Potter and the creative process have written quotes. So I wrote a quote on there. I think I wrote Dumbledore's Army is what I wrote. But the walls are just filled with Harry Potter quotes. It's a really cool place. But then... Another big Harry Potter stop is Greyfriars Kirk. Mm. And a kirk is the word for church. And there's a graveyard there. Mm. So she actually, her kids were in school at a building that you can see from this kirkyard. And it has four turrets. So supposedly it's the inspiration for Harry Potter and the four, and the four houses. And it's a very wealthy school. Uh, that I think her kids basically won a lottery to be in or or something Mm -hmm. because she was not an affluent person. So when she was waiting to pick them up, she'd walk through this kirkyard, which is just a cool graveyard anyways. Not that I normally like graveyards, but it has some fun. We did a ghost story walk there, and they're really old, so they're these beautiful and eerie graves. Definitely go during the day. We did a grave tour creepy thing at night, and I didn't sleep. But... You can actually do basically a little scavenger hunt and find names that she took from the gravestones and put in her book. So you can find Moody, Thomas Riddle, and McGonagall. I think those are the three. Yeah, that's sweet. And we found all three. So it's just a really fun thing. And if you hang out long enough, there are Harry Potter tours that go through that we were too poor to pay for. But if you kind of stand near them, and that's where I heard a lot of the facts that I'm sharing, (laughs) which was cool. There's an appropriate distance to be away from the groups where you can still hear, but also not be a part of it. You just have to look really intent at whatever you're reading. And these gravestones are very long. They have a lot of words on them. So if you just stand there for a while, you don't know, maybe you're you're their like great, 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 great grandchild. Yeah, and you're you know, paying you're paying homage. your respects. Yeah, you're definitely not sitting there waiting to hear about free J.K. Rowling <laughs> Harry Potter facts because you're a broke college student but obsessed with harry potter no (laughs) and there's other cute local stories where there's this statue outside of it of what they call Greyfriars bobby and it's this cute little puppy that if you rub its nose is supposed to bring you good luck and he was basically the puppy of the graveyard keeper guy and he'd always walk with him every day and then the Greyfriar keeper man died and he still would return and he would lay on his master's grave every day and people would feed him and he just lived there so when he passed they erected a statue for him what was his name that's adorable bobby i think it was b-o-b-b-y but they call it Greyfriars bobby like the statue it's it's really cute (laughs) so that's a local thing if you're not into the pop culture harry potter i still recommend going because it has that cool very local mm-hmm. lore to it yeah that's neat and just a tear-wrenching story it's awful but it's yeah it's bittersweet right? but it's beautiful dogs really are a man's best friend yes they are i can't think of anyone who would do that for me like every day that's a commitment a dog would no person would it would not my dog coco would go to whoever had carrots yeah they would she would get like, bored. forget <laughs> 
forget you, Lauren. This <laughs> person just had carrots. I'm going to go down the road. <laughs> yeah. So that was cool. And the ghost tour was actually really cool there, too. Number four. Okay. Uh, the Scott Monument on Prince's Street. So it's princes, like not princess, but multiple princes. Mm-hmm. And that, that what's fascinating is that is their new town which still is older than our entire country. So it is not new, but they'll refer to it as Old Town and New Town, which makes me laugh hysterically when I learned about that in my modern Scottish history course. And I'm doing air quotes around modern. And that is, it's less touristy, but more commercialized. So Princess Street is where you'll find like an Urban Outfitters and that type of shopping. It's sort of their main shopping district on that street. If you go past it, I didn't spend a lot of time there, but again, it's still more modern. It was the more affluent side of the city. It's more planned and in actual rows, whereas Old Town was made a little bit more haphazardly, Mm -hmm. which makes me feel a little more at home because Boston is not a very well-planned city at at all. But along the main street, There's this tall Scott monument to Walter Scott, who basically just a really, really incredible person from Scotland. And the cool part is you pay a couple pounds and you cycle up these tiny stairs all the way to the top. And again, it's just a really beautiful view of the castle and the surrounding area. So that's why I recommend it. And it's not that expensive. It's not always that crowded, but it's kind of fun. And you get a really good view of also Calton Hill, which I won't be talking about. And if you've researched Scotland or visited, you'll probably wonder why. And it's because I never made it up there before it was too cold. Mm. And I went on another trip, so I'm not letting myself talk about it. But it basically is this weird area that has some unfinished monuments that one almost looks very Greek. One is very pillory and Roman. And they ran out of money before they finished it. So people actually joke that it's it's not a very prideful part of <laughs> Edinburgh. There's not a lot of pride for it. But it's still very interesting. And you can get a good view of that from the Scott Monument as well. Okay. So two viewpoints is the Scott's Mon- Scott Monument and then the Crags. Uh, and yes. Those are two really, really good ones. And then... You have something on the Royal Mile that is super touristy, and I've heard some people don't like it because of that, but it's called the Scotch Whiskey Experience. The reason I'm recommending it is because it's just fun. The first part, it's kind of a little gimmicky. You get in like a crate, like a barrel, as if it's where whiskey or scotch is fermenting. And it tells you all about how whiskey's made. It's, it's, it is a little interesting. But the cool part is at the end, there's the largest collection of whiskey ever that you can stand in this room that's beautifully illuminated and lined with. And every time I say whiskey, I mean scotch because there you say whiskey, not scotch, because they're assuming most of the time you're ordering a scotch in Scotland and they're not going to just automatically serve you Irish whiskey because that would be blasphemy. But it's really cool and included in your ticket usually, there might be a certain level, is basically a tasting. So you can do this incredible tasting there and you can get some add-ons. So it's a great way that if you aren't a Scotch aficionado, which I was not before I went, and I wouldn't even say I totally still am, I just appreciate it now. It's a great way to taste it and learn a little bit about it. And it 
really is important to Scottish culture and even um, Scotland's export. So it's a cool way to get to experience that in a slightly touristy way. Have you had the chance to buy some scotch back in the States that you've enjoyed? I have. Do you have some recommendations? Yeah, I have. Yes. So I have, and it is way more expensive here, which drives me crazy. Because I joined the Scotch Whiskey Society there, which I told some stories about in earlier podcasts where I got to really sit down and every Thursday we'd have six drams or six servings of scotch and learn about it. And this was part of one of the university's like extracurricular activities, which is just wild based on what life is like here in the States. I actually got discounts too at certain uh, liquor stores. So I actually still have a bottle it was a small batch from a not well-known place, so I, I can't even remember what it is. I haven't opened it because it was the only full bottle I brought back from Scotland, and I, I got a discount with it, and it was something they basically were like, trust us, this is really good, and you cannot get it anywhere else because it's such a small batch. It doesn't export. So I still have it in my apartment. I don't know when I'm going to open it. Well, now but... you better drink it soon or else it's going to become something that you're never, ever going to drink. I know, I'm scared about it. It's already been, what, three, four years? Yeah, it's... But now I feel like I need a special occasion. Exactly. You waited too long. You waited too long. I know. I I waited too long for it to be like, ooh, I saved it. And now it's like, I'm going to save it forever. Yep. That's okay, though. I'm sure that you'll find some other one. Yeah, that I, we've been talking about this, but that's one of the things that yeah. I, I need to buy next is a kind of whiskey or scotch. I don't really like it, ooh. but I feel like I should at least have one in my collection. Jordan, we should do. I have so many plans for us once we can actually visit each other. I know, we should. You, I could take us through a tasting. You invited me to that tasting at the. Oh at yeah, the, place that the, you Haven. the Haven. But I just don't like it, so I didn't feel like. I didn't feel necessary. But feel I it think. Right for me to but go. But I think it ta- But I think a tasting is perfect because it's how you'll taste. So, I bet when you're saying you don't like scotch, I bet there is a scotch that you do like because. <laughs> There's a scotch for everyone. And the where it's made is so different. Like if you have an Isla, which is if you've heard of like Laphroaig, which is a really, really famous one. That's the one I started with, I'm pretty sure. And it is like drinking an ashtray, which eventually tastes good when you get used to it. But it's not a good selling yourself? point. I, I know. I know. It's not a good selling point. But then there are some that are made in the highlands and the lowlands of Scotland that the environment influences so much and it becomes fruitier or it might be, I don't know, it's it's not as smoky. So my favorite scotch is, that's one that I actually have learned the name of and would buy and I have bought in the States, is Belvaney Doublewood. Good and name. I usually get a 12 or a 14 year. In the, in the States, usually a 12 year and it's around $70, $80. Okay. That's a good name for it. Which is pink. Yeah. Belvaney Doublewood. It's it's delicious. And it was our favorite when we were there as well. I went to some distilleries that I'm not talking about because it wasn't in, they weren't in Edinburgh. We're just glancing by at them. We're glancing by them. But I had some local ones on the Isle of Skye and Oban and a few other places that if I saw them here, I would buy them. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're as common if they're smaller distilleries that don't really export definitely i'm biting i have so many stories i want to tell right now about those (laughs) though but i'm like focus focus which would be fun yeah and i it's funny because i actually 
I turned 21 in Scotland. So that was, that was something really fun considering I did not, like, the way we drink in the U.S. is just not how the rest of the world drinks, both what they drink and how much and, like, how they can handle it. So being introduced via the Whiskey Society to Scotch totally wrecked me. (laughs) But it was really fun turning 21 there because Maggie made it really special because I think she knew that I was kind of bummed. I was worried no one would care because you can drink since you're 18 pretty much. And she made a really big deal. She somehow snuck everyone into our flat, all of our friends, And she had baked a cake because Maggie and I would sit in our kitchen and watch Great British Bake Off and drink tea. And so she baked a cake. We had cake and champagne. And then we went back to Grass Market, which was one of my favorite places to eat. And we went somewhere called the Beehive Inn. And I I bought my first official drink at 21. I had steak and ale pie, which is amazing. Yeah, that sounds good. So good. If anyone says food in Scotland is bad... I I would love to sit down with them and just put some food in front of them and have them try it. And if they don't like Scottish food, they just don't like life. There's someone that thinks salad is the best food in the world because you're not going to find a very... Salad is not the thing you're going to eat in Scotland. It's about the carbs and the meats and it's warm and there's gravy and it's delicious and warm. You need warmth. It's basically all the best things that you could eat. It's a cold island. So steak and ale pie is literally like... Their pies also aren't usually sweet pies. They're savory pies. And so it's basically really good steak. And they're known for their Aberdeen. I think it's Aberdeen Angus. So you can get really good beef in Scotland. Mm. Marinated in ale and baked into this beautiful, like, flaky, crusty thing with gravy in it. And there's usually some, like, vegetables in there. It's so good. Sounds great. And you pour some gravy on top of it in case there wasn't enough gravy in it. So it was fun. And then we made the rounds to a couple very random bars. I'm going to mention them because I want to remember them, but I'm not necessarily recommending them. <laughs> One of my group's favorite place, like favorite bars there was called Frankenstein's. And it was a Frankenstein monster themed bar. Just let that sink in. Oh, yeah, because Mary Shelley is... Is she Scottish? Or I think think so. Okay. I think so. But basically, like, it was decked out as if you were in Frankenstein's laboratory. They had test tube shots. There was sometimes dancing. There were DJs. We went there on Halloween, and they did, like, a Rocky Horror Picture Show live thing where they were climbing and singing on stuff. But we'd go there not on Halloween. And every... I think every hour on the hour... It's like being at Disney World where something drops from the ceiling and the lights go low and everything <laughs> flickers and it's and it has this animatronic like Frankenstein that just sits up and roars and yells a lot and they freak out and then he goes back. It's so great. It's the weirdest That's thing. Exciting. And in the basement, it's decorated like a German beer hall. Oh, that's sick. So downstairs is kind of casual. It's like a German beer hall feel, but upstairs is that weird it's just it was so weird you'll never hear anyone bring that up about edinburgh it's not gonna be on i don't know a guided thing to do but it ended up being one of our favorite places. the point where one of my friends got like you could get a card if you were i think a student and you went there a lot and it got you discounts at different Hmm. bars wow yep so they had quite the reputation oh yeah it was really fun 
It was a great place. And then there was this place called Revolution that was known. It was a shop bar where you would order a tray of shots of different like flavors and kinds. But the thing is, they must have been all juice because you could go through like two trays of like 15, 20 pound shots and you'd be fine. Just a way different world. So that was really fun. I don't know. I le- I will always have a special place in my heart for Frankenstein's. Did you go but back? It's just so different how... Sorry, go ahead. Did you ever go back? Yes. I stopped in there once when I went back the following spring. But we went in kind of in the middle of the day, just the way like our schedule works. And we went in, in the middle of the day and it was really quiet. But it was still fun. I'd order a lot of ciders there. I just liked ordering pints. It was fun to order a pint of something. It was just great. Just hold it. Just hold it. It was it was really fun. It was cool. And we had this thing that was a mix between a pub and a bar near Hermit's Croft where we all stayed. It was called the Doghouse. It was the weird place. Again, not a place that you'll find on a tourist destination, but they would have live music. They had things like decorating and hanging from the ceiling like they had a series of army men glued to the ceiling set up in battle and there was this bulldog that lived there and they had the best wings you could get uh wings there and they would have really fun drinks you could get really cool drinks or they had great beers that was one of the first place we all started to bond as a group was there and we ended up going and during finals we would study there we would bring our laptops at two in the afternoon it'd be us and you know the drunkards at the bar and we'd have our like carling cider or strong bow cider our buffalo wings and that and that would be our study place instead of a coffee (laughs) shop books along the way too yeah it was it was really perfect but i mean you've heard me talk about just how incredible scotland's pubs are in general best burger of my life was at the green mantle also around the corner from hermit's croft Mm. There's a great kebab place there that on the way back from our nights out at Frankenstein's and Sneaky Pete's, which is the world's weirdest club. We still can't figure out what audience that club is for. It was very weird. It would play like 90s music and then really experimental like retro pop. Nice. It was it was it was weird. Uh, But we'd always swing by kebab house on the way back. You have to. You'd be so proud. Yeah, of course. You have yeah. to do that every night. Maybe not every night, but definitely every Most night. Most nights. Most nights we would end up back in my little living room kitchen, shoving our face with kebab. Mm, nothing and it was like a it. beautiful time to be alive. It was really great. But yeah, the best, oh, that was the best burger. That was the burger I had after the first time I drank scotch at the Scotch Whiskey Club. Mm. I had my six drams of scotch, and my friend David was like, we need to get food in you now. And we went and sat down at the Green Mantle. Both of us had already had dinner. And it's like, they make these beefy, beefy burgers, and you can get, like, loads of stuff on top of them. Like, I think I had an onion ring. It's just so good. There's nothing that hits differently than that kind of burger after underestimating the drinks the amount of scotch you can drink yes it does hit differently and of course we still had a beer with it because we're in scotland what else are you supposed to do 
Exactly. We, we just kind of held off at not having another whiskey or another scotch. But which brings me to, okay, I have to give my food recommendations because this is really important since so many people think that Scotland doesn't have good food. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things I went to Scotland expecting. And now I had to try and narrow down a list of the good food that I think people should try. Number one that beats haggis is called coronation chicken. Mm. I, Maggie would make fun of me. I would buy it by like, you could get it in tubs, like the way you'd get egg salad or something. I would, that's what I would buy. And it's probably terrible for you, but it's sort of like an Indian food influence where I think there might be like curry in there, but it's chicken and then there's raisins in there. And there must be a mayonnaise. I don't even like mayonnaise, but you like mix it all together and put it on bread and it is Oh my god, it's amazing! And I haven't heard of it anywhere else. I haven't been able to find it. So Sometimes there were even only that you put on bread. It was like a filling, like it was like you'd eat it like a sandwich. Okay. It was thick chunks of chicken, so it'd be the same way that maybe you'd have like a tuna sandwich, like mm. you'd put coronation chicken on there. And I, I never, I never, I'm about to have a double negative. It was always in my fridge. <laughs> It was never not in your fridge. It was never not in my fridge is what I was going to say. So number one, haggis, obviously. I've talked about steak and ale pie, any type of scotch pie, fish and chips. Mm -hmm. People forget Scotland is an island with incredible fishing. If you like fish, if you like salmon, it's a great place. If you're in Edinburgh, which is the only place I'm giving food recommendations for right now, the clamshell, it is on the Royal Mile. You can't sit down inside of it. It is just a fry place. You walk in and you just watch them drop it in. Like, they only fry stuff, basically. Mm-hmm. You can get deep fried pizza there. I did not get that. Oh Scottish God. people love to fry stuff. Love to fry stuff. I think they're close to the U.S. in obesity <laughs> numbers. But their, their fish and chips is the best. And you just get it in a little takeout box. And then you stand on the Royal Mile with a little fork. Or you can, like, sit if one of their tables are open and eat it. Also, where I had my first fried Mars bar, which is really big in Scotland. A Mars bar is basically a Milky Way bar, mm-hmm. and they deep fry it. Amazing. Amazing. Scoop of ice cream. Oh, my God. I can imagine unreal. Hitting the, that, that hitting the right spot if it's really cold out, too. You got a deep fried right? Mars bar. They had, I'm not talking about Christmas, but Edinburgh has one of the best Christmas markets, and they were deep fried Mars bars. And it's amazing. You can really get anything deep fried there. Yeah. All you health foodies, you can stay away. Don't ruin my Scotland. Like, don't start (laughs) opening up, like, salad, froyo, organic places. I'll be very upset. Deep fried salad, though. You you could try. I bet they would try. If you were like, hey, uh, can I get a deep fried salad? Eh, Sure. Toss it in. Drop it in. Yeah. It would end up just being, like, fry later. That's all. That's all it would be. Would be. Yeah, the batter would be so good. Best salad ever. (laughs) Then sticky toffee pudding we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. Absolutely delicious. A scotch egg, which is like a hard-boiled egg put in some sort of thick batter type thing, also deep fried. (laughs) And you have it with mustard. Cullen skink doesn't sound delicious, but it is. You can get it at a... Really, really good Robert Burns. It might be called like Burns or Robert Burns restaurant. Kind of touristy, but good on the Royal Mile. 
but it's basically like a smoked fish soup. Hmm. It's way better than it sounds. It's it's kind of creamy, but again, fish stole your fishing, all of their. F- I know, I know. Just try it. You don't have to. I'll don't keep think an open about mind it. with it though. Just like with just the haggis, have your Cullen skink as an appetizer. Dive into your haggis and then just reward yourself with a fried Mars bar for being adventurous. That sounds pretty good because you're gonna like the fried Mars bar, <laughs> right? They also, if you like the sound of the fried Mars bar, they had shortbreads really big in Scotland. They had something called. Uh, millionaire shortbread which is a bottom layer of homemade shortbread with like a soft caramel and then at the top is like a bar of like homemade like Hmm. fudge chocolate on top and it's cut into squares and they have a lot of really good bakeries there so good and just a couple last ones you've got your tea cakes your tonics tea cakes which you can get in the any grocery store delicious You've got your black pudding and full Scottish breakfast, which we've discussed already, we how it just discussed. doesn't interest you. We won't dive in. You have oat cakes, which are also very delicious. They're very thin type of bread. You put some butter on it. And your bangers and mash, which is <laughs> sausage and mashed potatoes. That's just really fun to order. <laughs> it's the best. I'm a big fan of all the fried food. <clears throat> and then the bangers right? and mash sound really good, too. It, it's like really good sausage on like homemade whipped up creamy mashed potato. Can mm. you tell I haven't eaten yet today either? Um, or not today, but just for dinner. I'm also getting quite hungry now too. I'm, I pretty much ate my way through <laughs> Scotland. We would even sometimes arrange our activities around it. So they had a place called TV at Row House, which is owned by the university. It's university bars. Mm. So you would go there and they had a library bar. So it felt like you were sitting in a library, but it was a bar and they would do nacho night. So sometimes our whiskey society meetings were in TV it. So we'd go to those or like we went to a a really cool, I can't think of the name of it. I'll talk about it on a different time, but like a dance, Mm -hmm. like a formal like Scottish dance where they yell out Scottish moves. It's almost like a hoedown, but scotland and like very old dance moves so cool and lots of people in kilts and so we'd go do an activity and then go and have the tv at row house library nachos or like we would do a lot of pub quizzes which i've talked about are just so different there we're like they're legit like there's hundred dollar prizes mm-hmm. you win bottles of booze they take them seriously there's like multiple kinds there's people that always go back they're the most fun if you think you're not a trivia person go to a pub quiz in scotland because like they have dance-offs like free like you'll in the middle of it like to win something you'll have to do like a freeze dance or like a partner jump thing it's very active that sounds horrible has something for everyone it's no it's amazing it's so fun (laughs) my favorite team name ever is let's get quizzical and we did it once over there and if i ever play trivia with you which i love trivia so i don't care if i know you or not like feel free to invite me to trivia that will be my team name is let's get quizzical (laughs) Isn't it funny? Yeah. But but the we would go to this place called the Three Sisters because they had the best pub quizzes. And half at halftime, halftime, like it's a sport, they would have trays of homemade mac and cheese. Oh. One time, yeah, and it was just delicious. And I remember my flatmate Maggie had never had mac and cheese before ever. So she had her mind her have that mac that. and cheese. Yeah. So it, it was just, I don't know, we you would book your activities around the good food and the really good drinks which there's no endless supply of good drinks in scotland they know their beer they know their scotch and even their ciders Mm. 
yeah, you're able to make your way around town with all the fan favorites very easily. And the and live music everywhere. If you haven't heard someone playing Scottish music, there's so much heart in it and mm-hmm. passion. And okay, I have to stop myself now. Was that ten? I have to. You're do- I have you're to stop do- myself. You're stopping. I feel like I have to. Why? I don't know because I I just there's so many good things I could talk for so long. Well, it's a good. Okay, thing I have one more. It's a good I have thing you one can more. Do as good... many episodes as you want to. <laughs> I know. I well, I know. I know. This is. I meant I'm stopping potentially for this episode okay. after this one life changing story. I think I've told a mini version of this as like a, an answer to one of our like question corners, but I need to talk about it here because it, it's life changing. So. I think it's Thanksgiving is I'm sorry. I think the one rule that you should say to stories is that they're not life changing because then it just like hypes people up. Is this life changing for I you? I don't care. Here's the thing is this podcast is already very self indulgent okay, this episode. I, I know. I'm and, sorry. I shouldn't have said and that. And so this this story is life changing for me. Anyways, so it's it's Thanksgiving in Scotland, which I would love sometime to hear if you did anything for Thanksgiving in Italy. I don't know if you did. I was not in Italy at the time, actually. Oh, you'd already left? Yeah. So I didn't do, I, I didn't, I don't remember what I did. So I didn't do anything. It wasn't special. Yeah, it was in transit. That's okay. But you were in Scotland. Mom, Mom and dad, I'm sorry, because I know they'll listen to this. The best Thanksgiving I ever had was in Scotland. <laughs> and it's because obviously they don't celebrate it there. But I had enough friends in the study abroad program that we wanted to host something. And I love hosting stuff. I go kind of overboard with hosting stuff. I love themed stuff, especially. You do a good job. So every, I love it. It's so fun. And so everyone was going to bring a dish. But my thing was I was doing the turkey. Now, you cannot just go in, especially in the city, to their small grocery stores and find a full turkey And I kept thinking as it got closer to November that maybe there would be, you know, you could go buy a butterball turkey. But why would they? Because normal people don't eat that. It's a city grocery store. So people would usually go once a day or or multiple times a week. And also, they don't celebrate Thanksgiving. So November has nothing to do with turkey for them. So finally, a couple weeks ahead of time, I realized this and I'm researching, where do you get a turkey in Scotland? And you have to go basically to the other side of town to this butcher shop. And you have to pre-order your turkey several weeks ahead so they can basically kill your turkey for you (laughs) and have it ready for you. So I order my turkey, probably the most expensive turkey ever that I've ever bought. And I have no idea how to cook a turkey. I didn't even think about it. I was like, oh, I'll... Put it in the it's like chicken. You put it in the oven. It, you were basically just focused on getting the turkey that you didn't think yes. about what to do after you got the turkey. And I had a class that day because again, you don't have the day off. So I had people coming over that night. I think it was it was a well, as I was say I think it was a Thursday. Of course it was a Thursday. <laughs> Thanksgiving's on a Thursday. So I had people coming to my like tiny flat that night. We ended up having like twenty people packed in the room. It was so fun. So I have to get an Uber to the other side of town. And so I I start chatting with my Uber driver, who all the Uber drivers in Scotland were very nice. So we start chatting with him because you know me. I 
don't know how to not talk to Uber drivers, but it worked out because this time the guy was like, can I just ask why, like, where are we going? Why are we going to the side of town? So I tell, give him my whole spiel. And he's the first person to ask me, oh, how are you going to cook the turkey? I, and I, I was flabbergasted. I don't know. And like in the oven is how I plan on cooking the turkey. So he kind of laughed. And then he opened up and was like, actually, you know, I'm retired. I was a chef at this five-star restaurant. And while we don't celebrate Thanksgiving, I know how to cook a good turkey. And he tell, he was like, all you need to do, obviously, like, wash it off, clean it, pull the gizzards out, which I've still never done. I've always conned someone else into doing that part. <laughs> and then you basically just melt a bunch of butter and you, like, pour it over the skin of the turkey. And I usually end up just using my hands and, like, you rub it in so it's covered in butter. And then you take really thick bacon and you layer it so that all of the skin of the turkey is covered in bacon. And you put a little tinfoil tent on it and you stick it in a certain way. So we talk about this for a while. He ends up hanging out so that he can drive me back and like check out the turkey and everything and make sure it's good for me. So I go in, I get that. The butcher ended up having like bacon I bought too. And I go home that night. I do exactly what he said, which is the simplest way to bake a turkey I put it in and I, we had decorated the entire living room with like hand turkeys. We had wine and I sat down in like an hour or however long before people started showing up and I pretty much drank a whole bottle of wine sitting there because I was so nervous. I was sitting on the ground staring at my turkey, just drinking my wine. People started to show up and we took it out and it was perfect because the bacon keeps it moist Mm. and smoky and then you can eat the bacon off of it and you can tell it's done because the bacon is like crispy oh my god and i felt like such an adult like i was like here i am at my thanksgiving feast and here's my beautiful turkey and it was the best turkey i've had and now every year since i cook the turkey at our thanksgiving dinners and that is the only way that i will cook the turkey yeah i remember you I remember you telling me this story and you saying how you still do that every year. So it really was life-changing. I take back what I said. but It was. So did you happen, because this seems like something that you would do, did you like take the Uber driver's number and then tell him that it was incredible? Thank you for changing my entire life. Doesn't that sound like, that is normally something I would do. But I honestly, I hadn't even fully decided at that point if I was going to listen to him because I still was kind of like, eh, does that sound right? And one of my friends, her dad was a chef. So she came over and I asked her if she knew how to do it and she didn't. So I was like, whatever, I'm just going to do exactly what the guy said. And I was so nervous about it, which is why I drank the whole bottle of wine. But now I wish I had because it's funny that that weird little mishap that I was assigned that Uber driver, that we brought that up, that that's where I was going, that we had that conversation, that I did it and I did it correctly. It's now going to be a tradition that I don't just do with my parents, but like when I have a family, like I will always make my turkey this way and tell this story to like new people (laughs) that join that circle and hopefully pass it, pass it along. Well, if I ever do make a turkey myself, I will definitely take your idea and you should send my blessings to the uber driver in scotland wherever he may be i i need to go i need to go find him just take a lot of ubers and hang out at that butcher i could i couldn't even tell you where it was 
But it's just funny that he probably does not remember that interaction. I'm sure he has conversations with people all the time. And here I am, like, I think, I think about it more than once a year because it usually comes up somehow or like I'm telling this story and it's just really cool how, and I guess you can get this not just traveling, but I think traveling little interactions with people make such a difference mm. and really do influence you for the rest of your life in such cool ways. And, and that's one of, one of my favorite parts or favorite things I remember. Yeah. It's good to cherish those moments and realize them for what yeah. they are. And you know, especially it's meaningful to me because it's related to food. Yes. So it all comes back to <laughs> anytime, that. anytime it can relate back to food, you've <laughs> won my heart. And that Uber driver won my heart. And Scotland won my heart, both with its food, its people, and its scenery. So well, we're looking forward to hearing more about it in the upcoming episodes. We've got a lot to talk about. Wow. I can't believe that I was so nervous to talk about it. <laughs> It's just like you said, it's like, it's like you said, pulling the bandaid off. It's pulling the bandaid off and it's, I had to get so specific though, because if I let myself talk about everything, the Highlands in Scotland were actually one of my favorite parts of Scotland, but that's a whole different story. So yeah, just Edinburgh and I'm hoping to go back in the next year or two, but we'll see yeah. what happens. Yeah. Well, I know that was long, but we do have a question. So... I get it. But da, da, da. Okay. We have several questions, but maybe we just do one and I'll save the other ones. Certainly. Or we do two. We'll see how long it takes. Okay. So this question submitted by a listener. Do you have a favorite resource in particular that you use for researching where to go, what to do, general tips, and info for new places? I actually use Reddit a lot. Uh, so what I do hmm. whenever I'm looking for a trip is I will search that country and try to see what people are talking about in specific spots. A lot of countries or even cities have their own subreddit too, which allows you to focus in on it even more. And you could even, if you're so daring, you could ask them what they recommend. A lot of people already do that, hmm. so you can scroll through those responses too. What I... Uh, there's one resource too in particular it's called that works for me is it's called a, it's a subreddit called solo travel and it's just focused on mm. people who go and travel around by themselves and there's a lot of discussions that happen there about specific countries and cities and even just other places around too or the art of traveling how they find deals stuff like that so that's probably the biggest resource that i use in my wow resources i didn't know about that yeah it's good to look into. I'm actually going to try that. You're, you always open my eyes to a lot of usages in Reddit. For some <laughs> reason, Reddit scares me. I just don't feel as like tech internet savvy of a person. So you usually point me to very specific, their sub, subreddits, yes. I think they're called, yeah. and I stay in there. Yeah, that's yeah. the best way to do it, <laughs> I'll be honest. It's easy to fall into weird places and the subreddits that yeah. keep your interest. Like I, I stay on... It's just Italy, and it's just Italian people yeah. talking about Italy and the daily politics and things like that. So, ooh, that's cool. Yeah, it's good I feel resource. like I would easily fall down the weird rabbit hole. Yeah, I'd come out traumatized. Cats I'd never and go on the internet cats and again. more stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you use? I, I have two. A lot of times, I honestly 
this is going to sound really weird, but I'll Google image stuff because I'm Mm. a very visual person. So I'll Google image a city or an area. Or as I start just like if I put in, I don't know, Amsterdam or something and I start little things will pop up. I'll sort of just Google image them. And then the other thing I always look at beyond just I try to see people's blogs. If you put in a country or a city, oftentimes people who just went there will go. Um, And I have a couple blogs I don't follow religiously, but I I like their input. And they're none that I can name off the top of my head. They're just ones that when I'm planning a trip, you'll see the same people pop up. But two I always look at are lonely planet i don't own any of the books or anything but a lot of stuff's online so they are really good like touristy guide yeah and then rick steves which my dad will be laughing at because (laughs) i hated rick steves i was very angsty when we did our mediterranean cruise and finally i lost i lost it i forget if we were in rome or greece but every place my dad like it's actually kind of cool. You can download ahead of time when you have Wi-Fi, like Rick Steves Acropolis, and he will be a tour guide for you. Like you put him in your pocket and you can listen to him and walk around <laughs> as if you're paying for a tour guide. It's, yeah. it's kind of cool. But I was just annoyed and embarrassed then because like we didn't have earbuds or anything. So my dad just has Rick Steves playing out loud from his pocket. And like, I'm just, I was cringing. I was like, I hate us. Oh my God. Even though we were at tourist, we were at touristy places. And I was like, oh my God, we're so tourists. Like everyone can hear, even though then people would be doing the thing where they like lean in to listen. But I finally was just like, I hate Rick Steves. Like he's for old people, like da da da. And I like, through a little Rick Steves tantrum, but I actually highly recommend reading what he has to say online and he'll do a thing where he makes recommendations based on how long you have somewhere Mm -hmm. too. So I kind of like that if you're going for a shorter time. Yeah. Rick Steves is a giant in the travel industry. Yeah, he really is. I wish I was Rick Steves. That'd be a sweet job. Well, you can be Lauren Liedberg. I can be. I am Lauren Liedberg. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting there. I think we have time for this other one because I, I think we both actually agree on this. But it's sort of a three-part question, but I think answered pretty quickly. How do you find exp- inexpensive airfare? Slash, do you have a go-to airline or time to book? Slash, how valuable is a more expensive flight that's more comfortable and convenient? compared to a less expensive flight that might not be as comfortable or convenient? Uh, part one, I use Google Flights pretty religiously. Mm-hmm. Uh, part two was if I have a specific airline or yeah. time of day. Time. Um, yeah. I, you know, people always say that if you search on a specific day, it'll be um, it'll be a reduced price. I haven't found that to be work with me but yeah. i have found that if you try to book something three months in advance or like six months in advance that'll be the best time to do it regardless of the day uh mm-hmm. airline i don't have a specific airline that i like i go with whatever and as of right now i go more for the economy like just the mm-hmm. economic cost for it rather than convenience because I just get yeah. an aisle seat and I'm good to go for the seven hours. So how about you? Yeah. 
I think mine summed up in how I said I'm sad that WoW is gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, same thing. I use Google Flights. There are some pretty cool... My dad, I can't think of the name of it, uses an app where you can track stuff really mm-hmm. easily and set up alerts. I honestly just haven't taken the time to do that, probably because sometimes I book a little bit on a whim. Yeah. Um. So I am I am Google Flights religious is at least the first place I go to look and track stuff. And then... Yeah, as far as I I am not someone who is loyal to any type of airline. There are airlines I like better yeah. because I've had really good experiences. But for me, and this kind of ties into the third, for me, it's all about price mm-hmm. over how comfortable or convenient it is. I am a smaller person, so I don't pay for extra legroom or anything. I get that that's important to, you know, taller people or people that just need more space. But I would rather pay less for a flight and just try and sleep or read or distract myself. Plus, honestly, a flight is probably going to be kind of miserable no matter yes, what. Absolutely. And if you can survive WOW where they don't give you a glass of water, you can survive any <laughs> any airline. Yeah. So I, I used to say actually I was loyal to WOW because I would search for it on their website because they wouldn't pop up on Google mm-hmm. Flights. Um, but that was because of them being inexpensive. The only caveat I'll say is if it has to do with layovers as far as convenience. Yes. And especially domestically, I will, I mean, you can't really fly to Europe very often without a layover unless you're paying like astronomical prices. But at least when we're talking domestic, I would rather pay 50 to $100 more to not have a layover, especially if I'm checking a bag because I hate wasting time. It makes you feel like you, you're you done with sitting on a plane and you're not. And then I'm just paranoid about losing my luggage. Yeah. So that is the only time I actually will pay for the convenience, which I know you you don't agree with that, right? You do. You just are like, give me the cheapest one. No, I, I definitely try to okay. make it the most efficient. But most of the time it comes out to be the layover. It's just how yeah. I see it's the cheaper. value equation. Yeah. I would say my one tip with Google Flights that I have seen work at least how the algorithm used to be, mm-hmm. is if I was looking up a place very often, I it would start to jump up and you clear your cookies. Yeah, that um, definitely helps. That has worked. Yeah, I don't think that's a rumor because I've seen it drop. So that is one thing. If I start to see it inching up really high, I'll try and do that and see if it has to do with the fact they know I'm looking into it or if the flights really have jumped. Yeah, that's the best thing to do, I think, if you're looking at Google yeah. Flights. Good questions, listener. Thanks for listening. If you have questions, comments, or topic suggestions, feel free to email us at unravelourtravel at gmail.com.